You know, I'm getting really bad, but I make no apology. And I'm going to tell you about that tonight here on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate men and women about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. I am hosting this show. I am Maureen McGrath. I'm a registered nurse, a sexpert, a researcher, a blogger, advocate, and you'll hear about the kind of advocacy I do tonight on the program. Welcome, everybody. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about compassion. Really, the show is largely around compassion. And one of those subjects is how to break up with compassion with somebody. We hardly do that. We ghost, we run away, never to be heard from again. But I'm going to give you some ways to give you some confidence in terms of breaking up with somebody and doing it the right way, if there is a right way to break somebody's heart. Also, I'm going to talk about some of the physiological responses that people experience during sex or after they have experienced an orgasm. Listener discretion is advised for this show because I am going to be talking about sex, hence the title, the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. But I'm also going to be addressing some of your emails that you have sent to me, and I love the fact that you send me emails. I read and respond to every single one of them. At least I try. And uh, anyway, you can email me at sextalk at cknw.com. It will be in confidence. Not to worry. I'm not going to tell anybody um, about them. So as, as much as this that which is on the Internet can be in confidence. So do be careful what you write. And of course, I will be careful what I write back as well. Um, but it's great to hear from you. And I definitely love that. Uh, I wanted to tell you about uh, something last week's program. Just refer to something that I said, blasted my mouth off once again. What a shocker. Uh, I mentioned Vancouver's shame. I said that I had the occasion to drive by the downtown east side, three blocks of the downtown east side as I drove here to the station. And I noticed just how many people were there and, and the business that was going on and, and what was happening. And I, I feel so badly about that. And I feel that it is Vancouver's shame. And there's something that we need to do about that. There are other areas of the country and the continent uh, that have similar areas, but I've never seen anything like what we have here on the downtown east side. So I have had some negative flack about my comment that it was Vancouver's shame. Uh, somebody phoned in, in fact, and uh, thought that it was uh, it was not Vancouver's shame, that it was up to the government officials, which, um, you know, there is something to be said for that. But we do, in fact, uh, elect those government officials, and there are things that we can do. And, and, you know, we're not a healthy community when we have something like that going on. So I did have an email uh, with regard to that, and I just wanted to read that to you. So, dear Maureen, with regard to your comments about the downtown east side being Vancouver's shame, I have to say I must agree strongly that it is a mental health, uh, it's, it is a huge mental health issue. I really feel so bad that we can't find a way to help the people who are suffering. I, in fact, have a great son who at 26 had a mental breakdown. And me and my, my wife and I have spent the last year navigating through police arrests, court, jail, correctional facilities, and finally the psych ward on behalf of my son. If he would have been alone without my support and the tenacious follow-up, he would still be in prison, a place he never should have been sent to while awaiting trial. He now has confirmation and has been diagnosed with schizophrenia. 
The good news is that he is doing very well. He's living on his own. He lives close by to my wife and I, who are youthful 60-year-olds, laugh out loud, and we are all doing well, and he in particular, because he has been given the appropriate medication. Thank you for speaking up for the downtown east side. You're very welcome, but I did very little on that. But there are things that we can do, and my point of Vancouver shame is that we need to understand the issues that are occurring in the downtown east side. I made a reference to a statistic that I have heard that approximately 90% of people on the downtown east side living on the streets are have been sexually assaulted, sexually abused as a child, and that can definitely negatively impact a person's life. And that's what we need to do. We need to get to the bottom of it. We need to give more blankets and less sentences, less jail time. So there are things we can do. There's very, very small things each individual person can do, but getting to the root of the problem is one thing. Blaming the government uh, is not helpful. Throwing more money at something is not helpful either. Getting to the root of the problem is something that, help, that may help be helpful, and that is my point. Now, something else that drives me crazy is, do you ever see in uh, Vancouver, there seems to be just a plethora of awards that people can get. And, and the deal is that people generally get their executive assistant to nominate them for these awards. And, and I get a lot of these articles sent to me or this, you know, certain magazines uh, have these awards or they have these articles written. They're looking for content and they write these articles. And I, I'm privy to a fair bit of information because I do work in the jail. I work in a women's clinical practice. I also see men as well. Uh, people come and they tell me a lot of things about their lives. One thing I have zero tolerance for is abuse, abuse of women, abuse of children, abuse of men, abuse of husbands, wives. I have no tolerance for it, zero whatsoever. And I got really tired because it was about the third article that I've read in the past six months that was worshiping in all three cases. It was worshiping men who had allegedly done all these fabulous things. And I knew differently And so I actually phoned one of the authors of one of the articles, and I said, I am curious if you do a criminal background check on these people that you, that the articles are written for. I also uh, contacted one of the magazines, and I said to them, do you do uh, criminal background checks on these people? Do you talk to the people who know them, who know them personally, who know when they are behind the helm of a boat that is not their boat, number one. It's all fake. It's all false. And also what I'm, the information I have is that uh, all three of these men had been arrested for domestic assault and battery. And the people who had written the articles were shocked and amazed. And yet some of them had had some warning signs. They'd had some red flags as they were writing the articles, but they didn't go with their gut. They went with. And so my thing is the awards, uh, you know, for people who have, it can be a red flag for people who have all these awards, and that's what they're all about, that they may uh, put a logo on their website and they have never made a donation to a society. If you look further and probe further, when somebody wants to brag about themselves, uh, you, you, you got to wonder. But there's a lot that goes on here, a lot of, clo- a lot of skeletons in the closet. And, and just be aware of the people that we are worshiping in some of these articles, because often it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I said to the, these people who I'd interviewed, the authors of these articles, I said, 
um, you know, I think it's good for your own reputation that you ask if somebody has has something that they're wanting to hide or they didn't want society to know. And one of them made a comment and, and he said, oh, I could never ask this particular man just because he has a high net worth um, if he had ever been arrested or if he had a, a skeleton in the closet. And I said, no, indeed you could. Because if he was a man of character, if he was a stand-up guy, and you asked that question, he would have all the more respect for you. And it's ultimately about your reputation when you write an article about that. Often I ask people, why did you invest in that company? And they'll say, well, because it was a great story. And that's all it is. It's a great story. But you know what? When the truth eventually comes out, karma always reveals its ugly head. But just be careful, because even though you are trying to do the best work possible, you may, uh, in fact, not have checked uh, all of the sources. So, and also... Sounds too good to be true. Maybe it is. Um, and, you know, you have to go with your gut and think about that. But uh, so just a little heads up. And they were all very surprised that uh, I, uh, with my phone call to them. But no longer I'm, am I going to stay silent on this issue. And I think that's what we need to end in the society is the abuse of anybody. We're going to go to break, and when I return, we're going to get medical. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. Thanks for being here with me tonight on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. We're going to get a little medical. I'm going to get a little medical on you. Of course, it's related to sex because everything's related to sex. Uh, Recently, I've had a number of patients dare to ask because uh, they were confused and thinking that they, were, of course, were the only ones that were experiencing this, but in fact, they are not. They were having some physiological responses after sex or after having experienced an orgasm. So some of the sensations were like excessive warmth or cold following an orgasm, often accompanied by sweat. Does that happen to you? Frequently, perspiration is localized in the hands and the feet, and about one-third of both men and women have a sweat reaction on occasion to sex. Sexual flush is something else that occurs. It's a measles-like red rash that starts in the stomach area and spreads to the chest, and in women, it will spread to the breasts, and in extreme cases, it can cover the entire body. This can be a little embarrassing, to say the least, but understanding that about 75% of women have experienced some type of sexual flush at some time. Does it mean it was fantastic? Let's go with that. Way less men experience sexual flush than women. Uh, but it is, it definitely is associated with the intensity of the sexual experience. So, hey, you can always say, uh, as you're, you know, in the, looking there totally red and completely broken out in a rash, oh, was that good? Anyway, uh, itching or tingling following having experienced an orgasm. A lot of people are starving after sex. <laughs> they were starving for sex and now they're hungry for food, drink, or a darn good smoke. It's very common, unfortunately, because smoking is not good for your genitalia. It's not good for your organs. And you'll see why these experiences are happening to you, what it's related to. Some people have uncontrollable laughing after sex or talking, excessive talking, or crying. Crying is pretty common, and crying is definitely, and that that is actually experienced at the 
frenzied movement right at the point of experiencing orgasm. It can be very disconcerting for a partner. You're in bed with somebody and they start to cry. But believe me, it is a great response. And you should be smiling if somebody is crying. Laughing and talking is really embarrassing for some people. Um, I've heard that from many women who experience that. And it seems to be more women experience all three of those a lot of people, of course, some people urinate after having experienced sex, women, and they think that this is associated with a decreased incidence of urinary tract infection, but in fact, there is no evidence to support that. You can go ahead and still do it. It probably makes you feel better. There's a 30% placebo infe- effect on that, in fact. Some women will emit a clear fluid, and depending on whom you ask, it is either urine or an analog to male ejaculate. Most of the time we find that it is urine. And a lot of women who believe that they are experiencing female ejaculation or what is termed female ejaculation. And of course you've seen the the movies where they, um, a woman, you know, like it's like a faucet, it's like a garden hose. (laughs) Doesn't happen. I've mentioned that that's all fake, right? Uh, Some women experience sneezing fits or headaches. Uh, Some men experience headaches due to the accelerated heart rate, so an increase in heart rate and increased blood pressure during orgasm. This is not the most common problem. We do see this in in association with the PDE5 inhibitors, the medications for erectile dysfunction. A lot of men will have that. Um, And so that's why they can't take them, and that's why there are other options. That's why people come and see me, because there are other options to getting an erection enough or adequate enough for intercourse. Um, Somebody said, do you have to say penetration? It just doesn't sound so good. I'm like, okay, I won't say penetration. You know, clinically, we say penetrative sex. Um, And so I'm so used to that, saying that. I've become very desensitized in in many ways in in this field. But um, there are other weird reactions. This one patient I had said that uh, sex made his hemorrhoids worse. Another guy said he got these post-orgasmic cramps. And, you know, so there are certain things that many people can have. And exactly what causes all of this is really not all that clear. But they probably result from one or two or a few, three maybe. (laughs) I like three. Just kidding. Anyway, (laughs) of the physiological reactions that occur during sex. Of course, I refer to vasoconjectin congestion, or maybe I didn't, but vasocongestion is heavy blood flow into the various organs, not just the obvious ones, the genitalia or the penis. And there's also myotonia, which is increased muscle tension. It's been known for a few hundred years that sex sometimes causes engorgement of the erectile tissue of the turbinates. No, it's above the navel. Um, It's actually nasal swelling and congestion, and that's often accompanied by sneezing. So if you sneeze repeatedly after sex, it's okay. It's likely caused by some mechanical irritation of the nasal passages that has, in fact, been triggered by your experiencing an orgasm, which is great. But it also could be initiated from stimuli of the higher cerebral centers, such as the psychosexual images, which are commonly associated with copulation. How romantic is this? Okay. I'm getting better at this, Uh, (laughs) and hopefully you are too, because that is my intent. There are some things you can do to stop some of these issues that occur, like the sneezing. I'm not big on them, but if they're really impacting your quality of life, you can 
Ask your doctor about the administration of a nasal anesthetic before hitting the sack. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's like the tetracanes and the ephedrines that are mixed together. Um, you can probably get something like this from a compounding pharmacy. Uh, you, uh, in the past, they used to use cocaine, um, but I wouldn't recommend that because um, I don't recommend drug use, except you know which drug I like. But anyway... But not in that way either, because sexual addiction can be a huge problem for people. I deal with patients that have sexual addiction as well. I, I have a woman at the moment that I'm uh, seeing in my practice, and she's—I mean, it's—it's it's been months. It's been probably ten months, and uh, and she's finally making some strides, and and that's just really having insight into what is going on in her life, and also the people with whom she is having liaisons, shall I say. Um, Anyway, there's also uh, that, that, that sneezing thing seems to be the biggest problem for people, but sometimes cauterization can work. But for the most part, enjoy it. Once you know where something, from whence something came, if you will, you often feel better about it. You often feel, well, people often feel better knowing that they are not the only one. That's probably one of the most common questions I have is, have you ever seen this before? Do you know anybody who has experienced this? Um, and it's like, I know so many people who have experienced this or some people will say, I believe you're talking about me on the air. And I'm like, I'm talking about you and like 65 other people that I saw this week. So I'm not talking about you. And yes, I am talking about you, but only with the intent that to make you feel better, to give you some empathy that I understand where you're coming from or not, um, because if somehow people feel better knowing that they are not alone in this. And that is just such a common thing in my practice, common sentiment. But when I come back, we're going to go to break now. And, you know, it's heart. There's nothing like heartbreak. There's nothing like heartache. It's very real. And one of the sources of heartbreak is when somebody breaks up with you and you have no idea why. Very occasionally, because they didn't break up with you. They just ghosted or they never said anything and they were just gone as quickly as they came. And this is, can be very difficult for people. And when I hear people say to me, he or she broke up with me because of this and they've given a reason or whatever. And I say, do you, do you know what gift that person has given you? That helps with healing and closure. And there's no mystery of let's hope we can get back. There's no false hope. So when I come back, I'm going to talk to you about how you can break up with somebody with compassion. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath, host of the Sunday Night Sex Show here. Thanks for hanging with me. Thanks for being with me. Always a pleasure to be here with you. I talk about sex, health, and relationships. And sometimes relationships just don't work out. Even when we are rewarding, sometimes gratitude does not grow into that renewed commitment. When we are motivating, even sometimes problems still cannot be solved, even having given it our best effort. And when we do our best to meet the needs of a partner and ourselves, we often fall. And so all of these things may lead couples to go their separate ways. It's always difficult when a relationship has to end. 
but research indicates that some ways of breaking up are better than others. But it's probably the most common way to break up is just to avoid the person, ghost them, delink them, unfriend them, block them, the whole nine yards. But that approach is not always healthy for either person in the couple when the couple has uncoupled, conscious uncoupling. Um, It's unconscious uncoupling sometimes. You think things are going great, and then all of a sudden you just don't hear from them. But sometimes there's an approach that can help, that can minimize the pain and confusion for both partners because, and also after you've avoided something or you're avoiding it and you're embarrassed, nobody likes conflict, but you can't feel good about it even though if you've just dumped somebody and not let them know. So I'm going to give you some strategies that are helpful, hopefully for you, to break up with somebody. Some of the research that's been done on this, if you can believe it, research is done on everything. Um, And Baxter and Associates conducted exploratory research in the 80s to identify the breakup strategies people most commonly use to end their intimate relationships. And they asked several individuals to describe the behaviors and processes that they personally use to end the relationship. And they identified 40 strategies, which were further defined into four distinct categories. And they were breaking up with a positive tone, and that was hopefully to uh, reduce a partner's negative feelings. Openness, of course, so strategies clearly communicating the desire and the reasons to break up. Avoidance withdrawal, one of the most common strategies to reduce or avoid contact with the partner. And manipulation, which is really uh, negative. Strategies that involve deceit or using a third party to end the relationship. (laughs) That can sometimes be the wife. Anyway, uh, (laughs) that'll do it. Not manipulative. Anyway, uh, that probably falls under another category. I digress. Nonetheless, um, as you might expect, uh, the descriptions show that these um, strategies do do not definitely Uh, work at times, and they're not effective, and nor are they pleasant. So there are some suggestions from some other research studies. Sprecher and Zimmerman and Abrams did a research study in 2010, and they found that participants reported some breakup strategies to be among the best, and here they are. Find a time to talk face-to-face with a partner about the desire to break up. Uh, assuming that you've tried to deal with some of your problems before then, telling your partner that they did not regret the time spent together in the relationship. How nice is that? I loved loving you, but no more. Uh, Honestly conveying wishes to the partner. I wish you all the best. I'm marrying somebody else, but good luck to you. Just kidding. (laughs) I don't mean to be cynical. I'm really not. Verbally explaining to the partner, in person, the reasons for wanting to break up. You leave your laundry on the floor. I mean, really, it can be as simple as that. Or, And that's going to tell, tell you a lot about somebody. Or I don't like how you treat uh, servers in restaurants. That's big. If you have somebody who, is, uh, who feels somebody's waiting on them, forget it. They're no good anyway. Be thankful that they left you. Emphasize to the partner the good things gained from the relationship in the past. These actually sound just a little just. Just a little too sucky for my liking. But anyway, I like to confront a problem directly. Here, let's try and work it out. Okay, if we can't, let's go our separate ways. But then again, I'm a horse of a different color. Um, trying, try to prevent leaving a sour note um, or the partner having uh, their feelings hurt. Do not blame the partner. Ex- openly express to the partner the desire to break up. So really, it's about being open. Uh, in that research. So you want to be open, honest, and direct. 
set a time to sit down, talk about it. You know, something from AA, which I have not attended, but anyway, I have heard from AA. I love AA. I think it's, uh, I think every person in the world should go through the 12 steps. But one of their mantras is say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't say it mean. And I love that. And so I think we can apply that here. Avoid blame. Don't blame your partner. You're the one who did all the worst things. But you know what? It takes two to tango. Even if somebody has an affair, you got to look inside the relationship and say, you know, what did I do to contribute? I berated him. I I controlled him. I emasculated him. Or, you know, I, I abused her. I screamed at her. Or I, I excluded her. I didn't have sex with her. Whatever. Um, so there's always, it takes two to tango. Remember to share the positive. I think that's always important. In that conversation, make sure you emphasize the good things and the things that the partner has done for you in the relationship to help you grow. And that, you know, never, never regret. We, how can we regret life? It's all just experiences. And then you just make the best of it. And as I say at the end of every show, make it part of your dance. Find mutual benefit there. It's still a social exchange in relationships, and there's still the possibility of that mutual benefit. So focus on where you can meet your needs and the needs of your partner. And just keep in mind, ending a romantic relationship is never easy, but an open, direct, positive, compassionate, empathic approach can help it go as smoothly as possible. So everybody breaks up and we learn so much from it, but don't blame the other person. Remain calm. That's one of my best uh, best bits of wisdom. Always remain calm. Life is so much easier when we're calm, regardless of what we're doing. Anyway, when I come back, I have a question from a doctor. Yes, a medical doctor about sex. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. Thank you for listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Always my pleasure to be here, and I'm so happy you stayed with me. Um, I get tons of questions, tons of emails, tons of questions in my clinical practice, just, you know, friends of mine, dinner parties, people on the street. I don't really like to tell people what I do. It opens up a whole can of worms, shall we say. Um, No, actually, that's not true. I love telling people what I do because I love what I do because it's so interesting and I can make an impact, often a positive impact on people's lives. And just the fact that they can tell their story to somebody, and often I'm the first person they've told their story to, releases the pain. And I I will never tell anybody or uh, leave anybody feeling nervous that their story may be shared by me because it will never be. Um, so I think that gives them some comfort as well. And there's no story, there's no question that has so much shame you could never tell anybody. And and I think when we hold these stories in or these things that have happened to us or these embarrassing moments, it festers and it makes us feel negatively about ourselves. It reduces our self-esteem, our sexual self-esteem. We may bring something from one relationship into the next we don't want to tell friends about it because, as, you, as you're going to see in my next or hear in my next uh, email from a physician, uh, you know, you can imagine this woman would have been incredibly embarrassed about what was going on in her life with her husband. Um, and it, especially given I don't know what her cultural background is or her educational background or her religious beliefs or friends or whatever uh, who's in her life, then... Um, you know, that would make it that much worse for her. So I had this question from a physician 
colleague of mine, who's a phenomenal physician, I have to say. He's, he does amazing work. I mean, he's, I don't know how he has the energy that he has uh, because he, he gives so much and he does so much for his patients. He's always advocating for his patients. And those are the kind of physicians that I like to associate myself with. And so I'm honored to be associated with this particular physician. And so here's his question. Dear Maureen, Maria is frustrated and upset with her husband. Both are empty nesters at the age of 66 years old. She is a full-time homemaker while her husband is a retired engineer. Her husband, Paul, spends a lot of time late night watching online pornography when she would prefer that he come out of his home office and to bed. When Paul does come to bed, he is occasionally aroused and then only wants to have vaginal sex doggy style. She does not mind that position, but would like that they engage in other sexual positions as well. In particular, she finds this vaginal sex doggy style position is not very comfortable because, she said, although it is not anal sex, it does irritate her hemorrhoids and causes them to bleed. She is also concerned that this position means that they never face each other during sex, making her wonder if he is avoiding looking at her because he finds her unattractive. She is concerned about challenging him about this, as this is the only sex they have. If she complains, there may be no sex at all. Paul does not like to talk about sex, nor is he comfortable talking about his sexual needs or her sexual needs. What is going on here? What should Maria do? Well, you know what I'd do, but anyway. <laughs> um, this is a really serious issue. Obviously, this couple has been together for a long time. There's a couple of issues going on here. His watching online pornography. One thing about online pornography is it's never real. It's all actors, and it's really they're not even having sex or real sex. And they also demonstrate a rougher sex, a sex that lacks intimacy, a, a sex that if people are, if that serves as their only education around sex, they're going to be misinformed, and it's actually going to be a very negative experience for them and their partners. Making love is, in fact, making love and being intimate and soft and gentle and kind and m advancing um, as you do uh, t with a, in a couple and uh, with feeling having trust and feeling comfortable and having a variety of experiences that, that each partner is comfortable with. And communication, of course, is key. And I, I hate to say that because it just sounds so... Uh, contrite, but um, it's really important. And sex and relationship is relationships are about power, and it's about a balance of power. And what strikes me here is that Maria really does not have the power, and she needs to gain the power back. She needs to gain healthy power back in this relationship. She is obviously dissatisfied, so she she does need to confront this issue with Paul. She needs to talk to him about. Uh, she needs to talk to him and say we need to talk about this outside of the bedroom, before the bedroom, uh, before we go into the bedroom. And she needs to very simply say, and once again, say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't say it mean. And and maybe compartmentalize it, start with a little bit. Say it makes me, you know, I'm curious why. Curiosity is just such a great word, and being curious is so great to be. And so she can say to him, I am curious why you spend so much time online viewing porn. I am curious why the only position 
that you are interested in of late is this vaginal sex doggy style position. And I would like you to know that it is harming me. It is actually, and, and men do not want to harm women. Nobody wants to harm anybody else, especially when making love. Um, and so if he knows that and he understands that, any person, any decent person with any degree of compassion will not want to do that. She also may be experiencing a medical problem. Uh, she may feel that it's her hemorrhoids, but she may be experiencing some dryness down there. Um, and so when women's estrogen receptors decrease in the vagina and the urethra after menopause, and she's certainly postmenopausal at 66, um, they it may lead to painful sex. So that's something she should really go and see her doctor about as well. And And she also may talk to him, but maybe the next time that assuming that um, that they're not actually looking at each other when they're um, having sex, during sex, makes her feel if he's avoiding looking at her because he finds her unattractive. We always go to that. We always think, I'm not attractive enough. I'm not good-looking enough for this man or for this woman or whomever if it's in a same-sex relationship or, you know, two men. it's They always personalize it and internalize it. And that, you know what? My thing is that he can't look, he can't, allow her to look at him because maybe he is so ashamed of what he is doing. And, and so I would say it's more that than he doesn't find her attractive. Um, she needn't be concerned, but I can understand it about challenging about this because it's the only sex she has. And she thinks if I don't have this sex, I'm never going to have sex with this man that I love allegedly. And, but you know what? It may not in fact be the best relationship for her. And what's the point of having sex if it's not incredible sex on every single level. I counseled a patient one time who was getting a divorce. In fact, I used to joke and say, you're meandering down the pathway of divorce. And then finally at the end, she was all set and she was going to get a divorce and they were living in separate parts of a big house. And But she was still having sex with him. And I said, oh, no, no, no. That's abuse. You don't need to have sex with this man. You are getting a divorce. You can say no. So it's important that a woman speaks up for her needs, whether her needs are being met or not. And if Paul is uncomfortable talking about sex, that's fine. I get that. But you know what? He's a grown man. And slowly talking about it, that's why I say chipping off uh, bits at a time may be helpful. Make it comfortable. Don't make it threatening for the man. Um, in a nutshell, that's my response. When I come back, more of my hot sex tips and uh, where I'm going to be this fall. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. Well, like all great sex, it comes to an end. <laughs> Once again, we all want to have hot sex, though, and uh, I'm, uh, I've taken to providing you with my ultimate sex tips each week. Uh, the thing to remember is that you can bring as many tricks and surprises to the bedroom you'd like, but a big part of making a sexual experience incredible or amazing is making sure that everybody is having an amazing time. What is hotter than seeing the person you're with thoroughly enjoying themselves? Different people have different preferences in the bedroom, so I cannot offer you a quick solution that'll work every time. But you can try, and that's why I'm offering a bunch of solutions through the weeks. I'll post them on my website, www.backtothebedroom.ca. Uh, you can go there and see my various tips and suggestions and try it out so you can explore what works for you and whomever you are with. 
there's a lot of list makers in this world, and uh, you make grocery lists and things to do lists and errands lists. Why not make a sex list? Make a list of what you want to do and try, and then tick it off. Create a secret sex code is number two, and that can be as simple as the bedroom is kind of warm, you think, or I'm going upstairs, anything Uh, any little code between you. This works really well for young couples who may have a bunch of children. Of course, you must have that lock on the bedroom door. Keep in mind, foreplay is important. We always thought men wanted 13 minutes of it, but no. Apparently, according to a research study I read recently, men want 18 minutes. And so something you may not think about uh, that is related to foreplay, or that is great foreplay, but of course I think about it because I'm a former shoe model and <laughs> feet are important. Play footsie. Play a little game of footsie during that foreplay. Men love that. Uh, women love that as well. These sex tips are for all couples. Couples who are in same-sex relationships, couples who are in heterosexual relationships, whatever. Sweat it out. That's always appealing. What better than to do the dirty deed after a great hockey game or something like that when they are really sweating just before they get into the showers? Dance. Dancing is great. Dancing also hits at that primal, uh, that primitive aspect in your brain. And uh, so dancing will likely increase your, uh, your experience of an orgasm or your ability to experience orgasm. That's what I wanted to say. And uh, it can be very seductive and it just can be very titillating and wonderful. And doesn't matter if you're not a great dancer, who is? Um, Flirt. Flirting is an art, not a science. And that's why you need to practice. And you need to practice flirting and chatting and maybe sexting and, you know, and that can actually increase arousal as well. And there's nothing as fun as flirting. At least I think so anyway. I want to tell you about a few of my events upcoming this fall. I'm actually speaking at the Dream Queens event on October 23rd uh, to some entrepreneurial women. I'm just going to tell them about my experiences as a woman in the business of sex (laughs) and how that has impacted me. So I might be sharing some of those stories, some of those emails I get, but I'll never give your name. Don't you worry. Nobody has to worry about a thing with me. Um, Also, I am speaking at the oncology nurses seminar at the Fairmont Hotel on November 7th, uh, the Fairmont Waterfront. I'm also speaking at, I'm actually hosting the Hot Flash in the City events, though that's my little threesome, one of them anyway. Um, (laughs) Your minds are in the gutter. Um, It's going to be held at, in West Vancouver on November 17th at the K-Meek Theatre. It's also going to be at Coquitlam out at the Evergreen Theater, and it is going to be here at the Scotia Theater on November 19th. So tickets are $40, comes with a cocktail and appetizers, and some vendors will be there, with all with the interest of women's health. And also there will be a movie called Hot Flash Havoc explaining estrogen and the impact on every single organ in your body, including your sex life. And um, tickets are $40. They're available on eventbrite.ca slash hot flash in the city. 
So uh, certainly love to have you come out for that. It's going to be educational, informational, and above all else, it's going to be fun because that's what I like is having a little fun in this city Um, and some of the bedroom communities, shall I say. Uh, Men are welcome as well. So I would love to have you all because it's important that men understand women's health issues. On November 21st, I will be speaking out at the Cloverdale Pharmacy at their Women's Health Night as well. All of this, I'm sure I've missed a few because I am talking. Um, Oh, on December 4th, I'm speaking at the Trial Lawyers Association of British Columbia. That's also at the Fairmont Waterfront Hotel. But they'll all be on my website, www.backtothebedroom.ca. You can follow me on Twitter at Back the Number Two, The Bedroom. You can email me anytime, sextalk at cknw.com. And remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath, and you have been listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show.